Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. Well, the focus tonight for these last couple of moments that we have together is truly on the cross. You see, the fundamental difference between major religions and Christianity is that most religions solely promote the values, the teachings, and the lifestyle of their leader. However, Christianity, although focuses on certainly much of that same, but the ultimate difference is that our theology and our emphasis is grounded by the death of our leader. Our doctrine is based on the fact that Christ died for us. You see, the takeaway and the death of Christ is interpreted certainly by Scripture. And if we don't understand his death and the cross of Jesus Christ, then we simply reduce Christianity to the level of all other belief systems. But what makes it different for you and I is not only did Jesus die for our salvation, but that he rose from the dead. Amen? You see, it is the cross that sets the standard that ultimately bridges the gap between God and man. If there is a focal point beyond what we would celebrate as Good Friday service, it is that to all humanity, that it is the cross that was the bridge that God was able to reach down into your soul and mine. And yet how unbelievably that it is the center of saving faith is this cross. How is it of all of the, the articles that could have been reserved that, that would somehow be able to unite this loving and powerful God with a lost and sinful humanity? Certainly, there could have been something else. There could have been something more beautiful. There could have been something more that, that, that would have certainly drawn our attention to. And yet, God chose the cross. History reveals that it was the cruelest of all methods that the human mind could conceive to ravage the literal life from its subject while causing absolute humiliation and immense suffering. Ultimately, it was an extremely long and torturous death. And yet in God's plan, it was the cross that would bring hope to humanity. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, again, helps to set the moment even deeper for us today. It says that he endured the cross, scorn its shame. Again, I know that it seems much different for you and I today, articles of clothing or badges that we might even wear on our skin. But we realize that what Christ did for us is that he was willing to die on the cross, scorning its shame. A few things that, that I hope together that we can walk through tonight that, that again solidifies the point of thankfulness and gratefulness of what Good Friday means to all of us is that the cross is the fundamental basis for the gospel. I think when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I know that uh, th there's kind of been a, a phrase over the last number of, of years that, that, that when you wanted to make a, a point or that you wanted to be so emphatic with somebody that you would say, in your face, right? 
When, when you want to determine, listen, I win. Like whatever I have to say tops whatever you have to say. We've kind of used that phrase, in your face. And I think that as I read these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is exactly what Paul was saying to the church about the power of the cross. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You see, as much as we understand the great uh, avenues of the church and moments in which we cause to rejoice in what has taken place in the hearts and lives of men and women. In fact, we talk about right here at Real Life that, that our baptism services are, are the highlight of the year. And yet Paul was helping us to understand that God did not send me simply to baptize as great and as a wonderful opportunity that is for us as a believer. Paul wanted us to realize that the purpose of why he was called was to preach the gospel. And how was he to preach the gospel? Not with wisdom or not with his own eloquency. In fact, Paul was helping to set up the doctrine, realize that nothing, nothing is added to the cross of Jesus Christ. Our fancy words, all of the manipulation, all of the event that we could try to wrap around to help someone encourage their steps or their faiths into the gospel. None of that, that's just meringue. That's just fluff. It's not based on any object. It's not based on any special emphasis. It is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not my wisdom, not my eloquence lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What Paul was, I think, saying is, say, listen, don't forget in the midst of everything that you try to orchestrate, in anything that you try to make palatable to the world today, remember that none of that has its place. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that saves. It is the cross that delivers. It is that which challenges every life away from sin and turns and helps us to receive eternal, everlasting life. Paul said, let me get in your face tonight. Let's remember the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the cross of its power is not a feel-good message. It's not waiting necessarily for your opinion or mine. It's not to be politically correct or woke or accepted when authorized by socially driven minorities. For the message of the cross, he goes on to say, is foolishness for those who are perishing. They look to everything else that they could get their hands on, and yet they are missing the central force of the gospel, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say, but to those of us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Can somebody say amen for the old rugged cross tonight? I'm not here to wow you with my own words. It's not an aspect of our own eloquency. It's not of our lights or, or, or of the talent of our musicians. That tonight we are reminded that it is the cross that is the transfigure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is the bridge from God to man tonight. You see, the power of God is represented by a place in the Bible story. It is Calvary. It is Calvary where once and for all the payment of sin would be rectified. Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But hear me tonight, friends. The gospel declares that it is the cross that redeems every sinner. You see, every one of us were lost and stained by sin 
But we also have to understand it is the power of the cross that cleanses us, that washes us free from the sin that separated us from God. It is the power of the cross that redeems us. It is the hope not only of your soul, but it is the hope of humanity tonight in which we can cherish that old rugged cross. You see, we also learn that the cross finally abolishes the command of the blood sacrifice. If we go back to the beginning, even to Genesis chapter 3, from the genesis of man's sin against God, it was their nakedness, not just outwardly, but internally that was so shocking in the story. Man was not just exposed physically, but his disobedience exposed him spiritually as well. God got to the heart of the matter. It was Adam and Eve that rejected God's commands. Man chose selfishness and pride, disobedience and distrust in the face of God's love and mercy and his relational expression. And God sacrificed an animal to cover their shame. That's what covered their shame externally. That's what makes it so appalling to you and I today. God was instituting that a life must be taken to cover their sinful actions. But more than God would just cover them with the skins of an animal, he realized for their sin to be forgiven that blood must be shed. When we think about the Old Testament story and that place in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle. It was Moses who followed the instructions of God to create a place where the presence of God would abide among the people. At the very center of the tabernacle was a place known as the most holy place. The high priest would enter there once a year on behalf of the people's sin. And it was the blood of a perfect lamb that would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat, which sat above the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence and the power of God. Hebrews 9 verse 7 says, but only the high priest entered to the inner room, the most holy place, and that time only once a year. And it was never without blood. Say that with me. It was never without blood. You see, from the very beginning, God killed an animal so that Adam and Eve could be covered externally. But for us to be covered internally, it took the blood. That which was shed year after year after year after year as the high priest would go before that place where God's presence was represented. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seats. You see, the point of the mercy seat and the point of redemption is that there must be an action to necessitate forgiveness. There's got to be something tangible in regard to our sin. Verbal forgiveness is not enough. I don't know how many moms and dads are here tonight with little ones, but getting a little kid to say they're sorry for something that they can't justify in their little mind why they were wrong may be the most difficult thing on earth to make happen. But maybe it's not just for little kids either. 
In the same respect, God cannot pardon sin merely on the grounds of the sinner's repentance. You see, we can say we're sorry, but it's not a verbal. There's got to be action. You see, it would be impossible for a righteous God to redeem us based on our own confession. It is God alone that would pardon, but only when the penalty is first paid in full by way of an action. That is why when Adam and Eve sinned against God, that God took action for their sin. That an animal was slain. There was a tangible expression of this is what it cost. This is what it takes to make the wrong right. Our redemption, atoning for a fault or a mistake, requires an action. But here's the caveat. By only an action that is approved by God. See, the difference for you and I to make our confession to the Lord or for us to try to make it right before God is valiant on your part or my part, but it doesn't meet God's high and holy standard. Our verbiage, our wording, our forgiveness, although a great offer, unfortunately, is just not enough to bring total forgiveness of sin in our life. In fact, we see that being played out in the Old Testament over and over again. The Old Testament requirements that God demanded would dizzy our heads. And yet, sadly, it was the ineffectiveness of the Old Testament sacrifice is that it was only temporary. Yes, God would forgive, but this blood sacrifice would have to go on over and over and over again. Day after day, year after year, seemingly with no end in sight. But listen to me, friends, tonight, it was the cross that changed all of that. For hundreds of years of, of those hoping for God's forgiveness and knowing that blood would be shed over and over again, that again, a year from now, same time, same place, that we would wait in the hope of God's acceptance over our life. And what I want to affirm to you again tonight, it was the cross that put an end to the continuing of blood sacrifice. As much as God knew that we needed to be covered externally more, we needed to be covered internally. And so as that operation went on and on and on in the Old Testament tabernacle, God was working a plan to where one day the perfect lamb would come. And as his blood was shed upon the cross, God then would finally abolish once and for all the blood sacrifice. That God would die once and for all. And now today, our simple confession, not of our own forgiveness, but what Christ has already done for our forgiveness. Now our confession makes full appropriateness that our sins have been forgiven by a God who set the standard and has freed us from sin. The cross is the basis of God's required final payment. You say, Pastor, how do I know that I'm saved? Because the cross says that I'm saved. Because the work that Christ did on the cross that met the requirement that God had always placed upon the sinfulness of man would have been atoned for once 
and for all. That's how I know that my life can be stamped at the final uh, a payment being made by what Christ did for all of us at Calvary. Some of you may have been fortunate to pay off a car. To wait for that moment to know that as you were making that final payment that the bank was going to stamp paid in full. Some of you have been working on your school loan for the last 30 or 40 years. And you are waiting for the day that finally you are going to get a paper that says that school bill. How about it, Amy? Right? Is finally paid in full. Few of you have had the opportunity to pay off your home. What a feeling. What a day that must be. Debbie and I, while we were pastoring at our, at our last church, had the opportunity to step into the moment when that church, Glad Tidings Assembly in Middletown, Pennsylvania, we paid off the mortgage. It, it wasn't because of me that that payment started to be made dozens of years before Debbie and I got there to be the lead pastor. But it just so happened during our tenure there that we were able to make the last payments. The whole church turned out that afternoon. We got a tent and we had a band and we had a, a banquet. We realized that finally, as a church and a congregation, after all of those years, we're able to hold in our hands a paper that said, paid in full. It was a night to celebrate. It was a night to rejoice. See, that's the hope that, that we have tonight on this night. You see, Christ did not come primarily to set an example or simply just to teach us doctrine, but to die for our sins, to die in our place. Hear me tonight, friends. I love the teachings of Jesus. I marvel at his humbleness and his servanthood. I'm amazed at how he had time for everyone. But please understand that it was his death. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't an accident, but it was his death that was the accomplishment of a defined purpose of action in response to God's demand. That's why he came. Along the way, we've got multiple fringe benefits, but the purpose of why Jesus came was to forgive us of our sins. From God's standpoint, the death of Christ is an absolute necessity if we are to be saved. If our message as the church is still to go forth until Jesus comes back, then it is the death of Christ that continually must be brought. The power of the gospel must continue to be told. The hope to know that his blood, his only blood, is what is necessary to save and to change our lives. It is that message that we must continue to share, that we are saved. Isaiah 53 describes that the sin of humanity would fall solely on Christ when he wrote, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, you're in the story, whether you want to be or not. We're all in the story. We've all been stained by sin. And that's why God sent his one and only. God sent his very best to know that no matter how difficult, no, how bad our story was, it was through this one 
blood. This one action to know that our sins could be forgiven. That it wasn't based on my word, but it's based on his word. It was placed on a place where we can look where this action took place. Calvary changed it all. You see, it was a choice. It's been the theme of our entire series for these last two months. To help you to celebrate and to be grateful tonight, I want you to know that Jesus came to redeem you tonight. It was his choice to save you. It was his choice to deliver you. He wasn't forced to do it. God didn't demand that he do it. John chapter 10 says of Jesus' words to us, that no man take this from me, but I lay down my life myself for you. Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. You see, our gratefulness, our moment tonight to be thankful is based on the choice that Jesus came out of his great love for every one of us tonight. If that doesn't do something deep inside of us, if that doesn't move us to realize, some of us have a story that we knew how lost we were, amen? We knew how stained by sin that we were. And God chose, Jesus chose you. Jesus chose to go through the suffering. Jesus chose the cross for you. We've seen the movie play out to get just a taste of what that experience must have been. And what drives all of that is his incredible love for each and every one of us. With the death of Christ on the cross, the payment for man's sin would be settled once and for all. It is finished. It's over. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us. God took the iniquity, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, took all of that and packaged that all on Jesus on this Good Friday, on that original night. He hung there certainly with not only the weight of the world that has existed, but as it continues to exist today. Sin can be transformed. Lives can still be changed. Stories can be rewritten. Salvation can be offered. Healings can take place. Because he who knew no sin became sin for you and I so that he and that we now might become the righteousness of God. That God was able to take all of that, that which was dark, that which was disgusting, that which was plagued by sin, God through Christ and his blood was able to wash us and to make us clean. You see, for Christians, Good Friday is the most crucial day of the year because it celebrates what we believe about God. It is a horrid act 
for you and I to put our minds around. In fact, I'm sure that you have read many articles over the years to say what makes Good Friday so good, right? When we think that it was the cross, when we think about the suffering that Jesus went through. But hear me tonight, Good Friday is the most crucial day of the year because it celebrates what we believe about God, that we were lost, that we could never have saved ourselves, that we who would buy into to our own distrust and pride and try to do it our way, that God knew that it would never be enough. And so he sent his one and only son to do what only he could do. What it tells us tonight, why we celebrate of what we believe about God is this church, is that God keeps his word. That God is faithful. That God promised that he would redeem us. That God would put an end to the blood sacrifice. That God would remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. That God would take my sin, wash it clean, and allow me to step into the righteousness of God. God allows you and I to be sons and daughters today. What makes Good Friday so good is that God kept his word. That although our heart breaks for the sacrifice and the shame that Jesus went through for us, but our heart rejoices to know that he chose to do that for me. He wanted me, he wanted you enough to go through all of that so this incredible change could take place in your life. Tonight is the start of the most monumentous weekend in the history of the world. I am so honored that you took time tonight to understand that fullness in your soul and in your life tonight. As we prepare for communion tonight, here's what I want you to see. That as we take those elements in our hands tonight, that what is stamped across our hearts tonight on this Good Friday because of the power of the cross is that my sin, what separated me from God, that through Christ it has been stamped, paid in full. Listen, if you thought you celebrated when you paid off your car, when you paid off your school loan, when you paid off your house, how could we not celebrate when our eternal life was paid in full through the power of Jesus Christ? Amen.